superstition, man. I'm so glad that you're on the We Going In podcast and we're getting time to catch up. You know, now that we're coming out of COVID for the most part, you know, are you excited to get back out there promoting? And how much road work do you think you'll be able to do for every last word? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to just really be releasing music. Um, I don't think I've released anything um, since prior to, you know, the pandemic. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, never stopped recording. I paused for a couple of months or whatever because of some health issues, but it's just really exciting to see um, the response that, you know, the music has been getting. I've heard from other artists that, you know, things aren't what they used to be prior to COVID, you know. Um, so I haven't had a chance to tour or anything like that, you know. So I'm just, I'm just the type of person where I don't expect things to be what they were before. Um, I've never expected that. It's just let me see what it is and let me adjust to it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of artists are really reluctant to put out music sometimes because of things aren't the way that they used to be. And for me, it's like, look, if I put out a record, you know, 10 years ago and it sold 10,000 just because it only sells 3,000 now, like, you know, it's not, you don't get discouraged. You just keep pushing. You keep moving with the time. So, um, you know, I'm really excited. As far as getting on the road, um, I don't know if I'd do another tour, but I'll probably do some spot dates in the summertime. Uh, I always joke and say, oh, look, I'm a stay-at-home rapper. <laughs> so, you know, everything that I can do for music, um, I'll do if it's on my terms. You know, I try to take away a lot of the things that I didn't like about the music industry, and I just kind of do what I love, which is writing and recording. Like, I don't technically like releasing music. I like recording music more than I like releasing music. But it's kind of a necessary evil. And as far as touring, it was never one of my favorite things. I was young. I wanted to travel and see the world. I think that's more what it was. And, you know, I do. I did like performing, but the grind of a tour, I think after that last tour I did, I think it was 2015, it was a lot for me, especially being a family man. Uh, there's no amount of money that somebody could pay me to be away from my family for a month. You know, like <laughs> you leave your kids for a week with their grandparents and come back. And it seems like they've, they've grown two years, you know? So imagine being away for a month. Yeah, no, it's like, it's not just a lot on you and it's, it's a lot on the kids too. So I, I could definitely see the, the reasons for wanting to, to stay home. And, and I love the term stay at home rapper. I think that's a great new term that we need to just yeah. put into the, <laughs> you know, common, you know, use. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, as my kids get older, like, I, you know, my oldest daughter is 29. My, you know, my middle daughter is 19. I mean, you have real conversations with them. And, you know, as much as I thought I was just hustling and traveling the world, like, they'll tell you the real side. Like, Dad, you were gone a lot. You missed birthdays and things like that. So it's like, is it really worth it at the end of the day? Like, I remember I missed one birthday for my daughter and I was supposed to be doing a show and wisconsin i think the show got canceled so i'm missing a birthday i'm sitting in a random hotel in a, a random city just you know and it's like man was it really worth it you know what i mean no that's really tough and i'm glad to hear that you're feeling better too you know you were really public with sharing your your health and and it was you know long covid seemed like a really terrible thing to have to face i mean how are you feeling these days and you know is, is your health okay yeah i'm, I'm getting back to it um, you know, still under medication and things. Um, I think music really helped out a lot. And that's not even to say it in the corny way, but um, I had like major lung issues with breathing. And with rhyming and rapping is like a breathing exercise. And so I never, like as much as I could, if, even if I could go in and record two bars, I remember the first time I tried to record, you know, post uh covid or whatever trying to get back to it i would record like four bars and i'd have to go lay down because i was so tired but you know every day i came in and tried to go a little bit further a little bit further and i think um just doing music and being able to you know breath control and things like that it really helped out a lot but i'm getting back to to where i should be um you know like i said looking forward to in the summertime possibly doing a show and things like that but i don't want to try to do anything until I'm absolute certain that I'm good and kind of get, you know, a okay from the doctors and things like that as well too. So. 
And I would imagine even, you know, feeling better, you still probably take a lot of precautions with COVID, just not wanting to catch anything again, or knowing just how your immune system has is recovering, that you're probably a little bit more careful, I would guess, too, in terms of going in crowded places and, and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was even careful. Even when I got it, I was careful. I knew the only person that could give it to me was my wife and my kids, because I I don't really go a lot of places anyway. I'm kind of, you know, like I said, I'm kind of introverted. I stay at home a lot. So, um, yeah, it did make me a lot more cautious. And, you know, I have to be careful, too, because I've always suffered from asthma and things like that. So, um, you know, I just I'm very careful with it and things like that. I only really go places where I'm comfortable, but I'm not in a lot of places. I don't go to a lot of functions or things like that. I, I just kind of keep to myself. You know, I got certain homies that I hang around and, you know, fam and stuff like that. You're doing the the Sunday dinners with the Southern Vanguard guys. Is that still going on? Are you guys still able to do that and, and connect through Zoom that way? Yeah, well, actually, we, we actually meet up again now. Um, that's I would say that is the one, you know, one of the few times that I really step out. Um, at first, it started with, you know, just me, um, John Doe, Eddie Meeks, Pocket, Bamboo, and my man Oxygen. But now it's expanded to people like J Live and Dynas and some other people as well. Flux from Binkus, John Robinson. So, you know, it's expanded, um, you know, and it's it's good now because a lot of times we'll either, you know, we try to do it once a month where we'll meet up at somebody's house or at a restaurant and things like that. Now that, you know, kind of restrictions have lightened up. But I think it's a really dope idea. My man Pocket said his father and his uncles and friends have been doing it for 30 years. And it was like, you know, no matter if somebody can't show up, like, you know, I think I missed the last one. So no matter if one person can't show up or two people can't show up, they continue to have them. So it's kind of a, you know, just one time to kind of step away from music, kind of fellowship with your friends and, you know, just chop it up and build with people. And I think it's a a really cool thing, especially like, you know, when you get older, like we're not going out to clubs, which is, you know, kind of a meeting of the minds, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, thinking about every last word and just the feedback, you know, we're in an age now where everybody can just direct message you or at you on, you know, social media, their thoughts on the album, good or bad. You know, what kind of feedback have you been getting from fans so far on the EP? I've been getting the probably the most heartfelt and real and like truly genuine feedback. Um, I haven't really seen anything bad. Um, for the most part, a lot of people, you know, they appreciate kind of my transparency and vulnerability in my music. And, you know, um, you know, I've, I've had people reach out to me and say, look, like, you know, you speak about things that we all go through, but it's the way that I tell my story and tell my side. Um, this album, I mean, this EP really resonates with a lot of people and, um, it's it's the path that I had been wanting to do for so long. I just approached it the wrong way earlier on. Like what I'm doing now is very similar to like what I was doing when I, you know, put out like the Cam Moist Splitting Image and self-centered projects. Only difference was I felt like I had to do it under another name. I couldn't do it under Superstition. I wanted to make like more personal music. But now I've kind of figured it out. And after, you know, and understanding marketing as well and, and how you, you know, pitch things to people you know sometimes you got to put the you know you got to put the uh the medicine in the candy for people you know but yeah overall it's been just a very overwhelming response you know i'm never the type of rapper that's looking to go platinum i just want to cater to my fans and my supporters and it's it's been really positive man it's it's really inspired me to kind of get back in the studio and create more um, I was reluctant at first because, you know, when I sit down and I write these personal records, you don't know if people can relate. And you've got some people that, you know, and it's just truth be told, some people love black culture, but they don't want to hear about black pain or what, what the rapper's going through or anything like that. It's just like, man, just rap, you know? <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's always kind of questionable how people will respond. But, you know, I think I've found an audience for the type of music that I do. That's amazing. And, you know, the other piece, too, to that, what you just said, I think, is there's another subset of fans that doesn't want to hear Black Joy either. You know, they want the the right. gritty, the grimy, the violence. But 
have a real real struggle with uh, you know understanding you know MCs as three dimensional people. I mean, I I think that goes both ways, right? Right. It, it definitely it, it, does. And go ahead. Go ahead. I, sorry, I was just I didn't want to uh, like it goes both ways in terms of like people not wanting to hear black trauma or people not wanting to hear black joy either. Right. So I think, um, and one of the narratives I, you know, with the type of music I'm doing, I wanted to kind of change the narrative because I think with, with hip hop, it's always been either the joy comes from dance music or anger. And, you know, hip hop was built on rebellion. So, I just felt like there was so many untapped emotions and so many thoughts that people haven't touched on because for hip hop, for the most part, you have to be tough. And when you're tough, there's certain things you can't show vulnerability. You can't you know, be emotional about like everybody makes a records about, I love my children or my mom or my dead homie, but it's just like, you know, I've seen more people now talking about mental health and things like that. And I'm, I'm glad that that, you know, that avenue is opening up as far as music goes, because for a long time, a lot of artists were holding that inside. And, you know, ever since seven years of bad luck, I've always kind of just voiced what I've been feeling. And for a while, I was I almost felt like the elephant in the room. But now I see a lot more people are doing it. But yeah, I, I try to tell my story. And um, I feel like a lot of people can relate to it. You know, I've got homies that do music as well. They go through things that they don't speak on publicly. But they always appreciate me when when I'm able to speak up on it. Like I've had uh, friends and 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 people in the music industry who who've gone through cancer or their spouses have gone through cancer, and they know my wife went through it as well. So they'll reach out. But it's like if you don't mention these type of things, nobody will know. You know, everybody will feel like they're just going through it alone, and nobody else has dealt with it. So I'm glad that I can open up these conversations for people. I mean, yeah, that's huge. And when you think about that too, do you get any negative feedback on that at all? Like when you talk about like family struggles on cold blood, like, do you feel like, you know, any family members like, oh man, I wish you hadn't put that out there. Do you get any of that from, from that side of things? Oh yeah. I've, I've always got that. I've tried to, now I've learned to be a lot more respectful with it and not as specific. Like, you know, like I talked about in my uh, Tough Luck documentary about seven years of bad luck. My first album, I had a song where I was talking about my oldest daughter's mother because of something we went through. And my daughter got older later on. And, you know, she was really bothered by it because at the end of the day, no matter what her mom has done, it's still her mother. So I've learned to be a lot less specific and kind of speak in general terms and things like that. But um, for me, you know, I just try to tell the truth. You know, you have to respect honesty. And there's always two sides to every story. But I feel like as long as I'm being sincere and being honest and I'm not saying things in a malicious way, I don't think there'll be a lot of backlash. I mean, I even on Head, Head Above Water, I spoke about an issue that I had with a producer named Croup, and it wasn't anything malicious. And kind of my approach was it was like, look, I've been where he's been before. I've been on the other side of this. I understand why he feels this way, even though he's technically wrong about it. But, you know, it's like I sympathize with him as well. So I think your approach means more than anything or whatever. And I think that's, you know, I don't say things now to offend people or get people riled up and things like that. I'm just, you know, I just want to tell my truth. And I think people respect it for the most part. No, I would I would totally agree with that, too. And the production is, is insane on this, too. And, and it, you know, you've grown as a producer like crazy too. I mean, did COVID help with that, you know, in terms of staying home and being, you know, uh, just at home more, just really honing in, you know, those production skills and really making the beats that you were really excited to, to rap on? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, when I had, you know, long COVID, I couldn't rap. So all I could do every day was either write or just make beats. And so during that time, I produced a project for one of my homies, Bamboo, the Asiatic out of Atlanta. And basically it was him reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, I know what you're going through, man. Like, I'll rap over your beats or whatever. Send them to me, you know. And it's it's crazy because, like, when you start, when people feel like you're just getting back into music or, or production, 
Like, a lot of producers don't want to give you your love, you know what I'm saying? So I felt like I could probably build my chops up and build up my production skills by producing a full album for somebody. And so I was able to kind of work things out with him. And as I was working through tracks for him, I would put some aside for myself and things like that. So, yeah, during this downtime, it has really helped out a lot with um, improving with production. And also, it's helped a lot, too, with new technology. I know a lot of people are against new technology, but the workflow is so much better versus back when I started in 2000, um, it, I'd sit there for like an hour or two trying to tune a sample, tune a bass sound, tune an instrument, you know, that I'm sampling or something like that. And now with the workflow, I can literally make a beat in 30 minutes. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, it changes a lot. You can you can get better a lot faster if you're working, you know, on more things rather than, you know, spending two weeks on one beat. <laughs> Yo, I hear that. You know, what, what's your production process like and, and what equipment are you using? Um, so for the most part, I run everything through Native Instrument Machine, um, but I also do a lot of my chopping in Serato sample. Um, you know, with, it has pitch correction and it has a lot of cue points. It does it. What I like about it is, is when you pull up a sample, it's, it's non-destructive to the sample versus machine will chop it up into 12 pieces and place it in a folder and things like that. So I, I like the way Serato sample works as well. As far as recording, um, I used to do all my older stuff in Adobe Audition, which is like cool edit, but I switched to Reaper a few years back, and I love that workflow as well. So um, it's just kind of been building up just my, my arsenal of things. And during the pandemic, I would try to buy, like, something at least once a month, whether it was audio equipment or video equipment or, or something like that, because I wasn't sure if we'd ever be able to go back outside again. So. I needed enough to record an album and also shoot videos and film video content. So I have everything that I need, like right here in my, in my studio now, so, which is dope. That's really cool. And, you know, when you look at like a song, like old man strength, you know, just the, the wordplay really stands out like the punchlines and, and that's always been in your music and really like your music always requires multiple listens to really catch everything and, and hear the different layers that you do um what's that process like when you're really trying to get a message across but also do that in a clever way that really engages the listener um i would say um i i would refer back to um there was a video i watched with el zig and he was talking about how he felt like he finally broke the code and to me that felt like a way of having a conversation, making it all rhyme, but not sounding like it's forced, like you're trying to make it rhyme. And also being able to kind of convey a message. There are so many people that can do one out of the three. There are some people that can rhyme, that have style, but they can't make a great song to save their life. Or they're so technical that it takes away from the emotion of the song, you know? So I felt like I found a, a, a balance with that. And with me, as far as like having lines, I used to be able to sit down and write two or three songs in one day when I was in my 20s. That was really before I had like a family and a lot of responsibilities. So once again, it goes back to workflow. What I'll do is I will write down lines the entire week or for, you know, two, three weeks at a time. I'll just have uh, you know, a notebook or in my phone, just a bunch of clever lines and things that rhymes with with each other. And then when I sit down to write the actual song, it's like putting pieces of a puzzle together. So it's not like starting from scratch. There's no days where I'm sitting here and I'm like, I can't write anything because I have writer's block. Like I found a way, a workaround for all of that. You know, like as long as you got ideas to work with, then, you know, for me, I won't have writer's block. So I felt like that was more productive for me rather than you know i may be busy for two or three weeks and then finally get one day to work on music and you know what i create was a complete miss <laughs> you know yeah no doubt you know talk about too just improving you know like you even said i keep improving improving like luka Doncic. you know what is it that motivates that improvement and and keeps you 
you know, honest with yourself to say, and like, I can get better and not just, you know, everything I do is fire, but really looking at like, how do I get better? Because I mean, if you go back to seven years, deadline chain letters, fans are going to be like, you're good, man. Like you don't have to improve, like just keep doing what you're doing. And it would be really easy to just stay in that kind of robotic cycle of putting, putting music out all the time. Um, but not really being honest about your growth and, and what you can, you know, right. do better. So, so how do you do that? For me, I just write and write and write. It comes from practice. Um, like you can listen to someone like a black thought and tell that he still writes a lot. And you can tell he still loves rhyming. He still loves connecting words together. Probably, I probably release 40% of what I actually write and record. And that blows a lot of people away because I know some people that release everything that they record, but I look at it almost as like an athlete. And I told, you know, I told someone before, you know, Steph Curry has shot more threes in practice than he has in a game. So it's basically me just practicing, honing my skills. So when it's time to get on a song, now I'm comfortable or when it's time to, do a feature and somebody calls me, it's not me just, you know, trying to figure it out. It it becomes second nature at some point. But for me, I just, I've never stopped writing. I don't write as much as I used to, but I'm constantly trying to write, constantly trying to get better. Um, You know, I, my manager, Sav, he used to always tell me like, you know, sometimes you should leave space in your, in your rhymes and things like that. And it's like, you know, you kind of learn where to, where to kind of hit the brakes a little bit. And you also learn like, all right, put more emotion into this. And, you know, you just, you figure it out, man. And I'm also still a fan of the music. I'm not one of those rappers that say, I don't listen to hip hop or, or anybody else. I listen to a lot of hip hop. I'm still the diehard fan that I was before. And so just like I did when I used to listen to Rock Kim and Big Daddy Kane, I, I take notes. I pay attention to what other people are doing. That's why I call my, um, my record label eavesdrop music because I really pay attention to what other people are doing. But when it comes back to my stuff, you know, I do things my own way. That's a really cool explanation. So, I mean, if you're looking at yourself now, what do you feel like you want to really focus on improving on next? For me, I want to get more into storytelling. I think um, I'm a talented storyteller a lot of times I was afraid to go into it because I felt like it would lose people. And I would say that because one of my favorite albums of all time is Prince Among Thieves. And that album is so slept on. It's so well executed, well produced from beginning to end, and people completely slept on it, like Prince Paul's project. And it kind of pushed me away from wanting to do concept albums because I, I love hip hop concept albums, but in this era, everything is kind of based on playlist and, and everything's based on a song and not really the project. So for me, I want to get better at doing more conceptual projects from beginning to end. Um, I want to, you know, like I said, focus more on just more emotional songs. At the end of the day, I, you know, I have to tell myself, all right, they get it. People know you can rap now make a great song. <laughs> no doubt. Like you proved that already. Right. Like, but it probably doesn't ever get boring trying to prove it again and again, or trying to do it better than you did before. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I just don't want to get to a point, And I have been to that point where I feel like I'm making the same song over and over and over. And it, you know, it's almost like manufacturing a song, like, all right, you get on the song, you rap about rappers, next beat, rap, boom, bap, scratch hook, boom, bap, rap, scratch hook. It's like at some point, like you want to do a little bit more than that. Like my music is always going to be rooted in kind of dusty, dirty hip hop. But as far as just wordplay and flow and different concepts and topics, I just want to talk about more things than I have in the past. And I've got more experience now because I'm older. Yeah, no doubt. And when you talk about like only releasing about 40% of the music you put out, you know, that 60%, do you ever want to put that out as lost tracks or B-sides or anything like that? Or if it doesn't kind of pass that test to go on an album now, is it one of those things like you just don't want fans to hear 
and that's just going to kind of stay in a hard drive somewhere? Uh, for the most part, so they don't completely go to waste. A lot of them I basically recycle. I'll take, um, if I got some dope lines in some of it, I'll take those lines out of those songs and, you know, add it to something else that I'm working on. Or if there's a concept that I felt like I could improve on, then I'll take from that as well. So, um, you know, I do have a lot of unreleased material. Um, and maybe at some point I would release it, but a lot of it I'll take general ideas from it. You know, it's almost like a producer when he's making a beat. Um, he may not like that particular beat, but then he comes back to it two or three years later and like, you know what? I love these drums. Let me go back and add something to it. So that's how I do a lot of um, songs. Like a lot of my older unreleased work, I will recycle it. And a lot of times, too, if the beats have been sitting for too long, especially if it was produced by someone else, then the pr the production could get sold. So there's different, you know, different things I have to do to, to kind of to put the music out there. But there probably about two or three albums at least in, in the vaults. Yeah. So and I'm doing my best to really release as much music as possible. Like this year I'm releasing so much music and I always tell people it's me cleaning out these vaults. That's amazing. Yeah, we win when you do that, man. We win. You know, you also talked too <laughs> about just like the idea of you're not chasing major labels you're not trying to send this to to dre or anybody you're not trying to get you know quote put on like that like um you're really doing this and you know you have your limits like you share too like you know you have a job you have a family do you feel like you're able to make the best music possible too because you're not looking at music as your sole source of income and if you don't sell this amount of units or you don't make this much in this month like you know you're not making rent i mean do you feel like the music is better because of that yeah, 100%, because um, there's no desperation anymore. I remember there was a time where I would make a project and, you know, it was basically if it doesn't sell, I don't pay my rent, you know. Um, you know, my family doesn't eat. And I think it would flow. It would, you could hear it in the music a lot of times. There was a, a, certain, a certain hunger that was there, like I said, certain desperation. And now that I'm much more comfortable in life, like, I, you know, I have a great career outside of music, um, I can kind of make whatever I want to make. And at this point, it's me basically making the music that I want and allowing people to listen to it, you know, versus me making music and hoping somebody likes it. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a complete difference. And like, there's not a lot of labels or other people involved anymore so it's just like i'm making music that's 100 percent reflective of what i'm going through and you know there's not a label telling me hey you need to add something that appeals to like the west coast or you know you gotta make something we need a radio single and things like i don't focus on that anymore i really focused on the entire project versus you know just recording a bunch of songs because it was so difficult it became so difficult to create a project using multiple producers because it's like, it's almost like scavenging at a buffet. You're going like showing up to a buffet at the end of the night and you're basically trying to piece together an album based of leftovers and beats that everyone's picked over and things like that. So this works so much better for me. And I think it, you know, people can tell when they listen to the music. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, sh I'm sure, man. I know I can. And when you when you think about that too, the fact that you can, you know, write, record, produce, mix, master, and really market and promote too. I mean, is there anything that you need an outside force for, or an outside entity besides just additional funding to like buy ads and you know things of that nature? I mean, do you need anybody for anything else with everything that you can do yourself? Um, not really. I mean, I do, you know, I have Sav, which is my manager. And a lot of times you need somebody in front of you to tell other people no. So they, so they don't get offended, you know? So as far as that, you know, I have management, but outside of that, based on what I'm trying to accomplish, I'm able to, to be self-sufficient. Like there isn't any, like, I'm not an expert at, you know, graphic design but i can do graphic design that works for me and my projects and things like that like i'm great at mixing my songs 
and mastering my songs. Now, whether that's good enough for anybody else's project, you know, that's to be determined. But right now, I've just, all these skills that I've, I've used are basically for my projects. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm, I'm going out trying to shop production to people or shop my mixing skills and things. Like everything that I have, I can do myself. If I want to shoot a video, I have everything I need to shoot a video. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. You know, it's a lot of work. But, you know, nobody's standing in my way now except for me. So it's like if, if I want, you know, if I want to make money off of music, then I'm the guy that has to do it. I don't like, you know, one thing I realized, don't take anybody else's losses. For a long time, I was taking everybody else's losses. You know, I would put a project together, hand it to a label, and either they don't, you know, pro promote it the way it should or there's issues with a distribution company, and I would always take everybody else's losses. And I was, you know, I didn't feel like I was in control of my music or my destiny, but now it's like, look, I'll, if I'm going to take a loss, I'll take my own losses. And I haven't taken a loss in, in God knows how long. So maybe since chain letters, I haven't taken a loss. So. That's huge. And when you think about having to say no, you know, your, your time is, is finite each day, right? It, you know, between work, family, and then whatever time you have left over for music, what do you find yourself saying no to the most? Is it, you know, emceeing over other other people's beats? Is it cameos and, and guest appearances and features? Like, what do you what do you have to kind of rein in and pull back on? Um, outside collaborations and helping other people are probably, I hate to call it a distraction, but it really is, and especially when you gain momentum. Um, you know, there's times where over the you know past couple of years, I wasn't putting out any music. I was very quiet. You know, not a lot of people bothered me. Not a lot of people reached out. But it's like as soon as you gain momentum, there's always people grabbing and there's always people, hey, you know, and I always tell people that, you know, they may ask for small favors. But if you got 100 people ask for small favors, that's actually a lot of shit to get done and a lot of distractions. So I just try to focus on what I'm doing. The main thing is, you know, a lot of people want collaborations. I've cut back on those a lot. Um, you know, a lot of times it was, you know, quick money. Um, it was it was me trying to, you know, work with other people and get my name out there. But in hindsight, when I look back, like I've probably done over 100 or 200 collaborations. I say, well, imagine the amount of albums I could have had if I kept those rhymes for myself or I used that time for myself. So, you know, I just try to be very careful of my time. And also, you know, as far as doing a lot of free work, like to me, those days are over. Everybody deserves to be paid for their time, no matter how small their task is. And I've learned that from the corporate world. It doesn't matter if you're the guy making the decision or your boots on the ground. Everybody deserves to be paid for their time. So. Well, and I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to realize, too, when you have a relationship that goes back years. It's like, hey, can you do this for me? Uh, I'm sure that gets hard, too, right? When you're, when you're, you know, working with people who you may have known or had, you know, some kind of acquaintance-like relationship, you know, over the years and, you know, saying, I can't just do this for free or off the strength or for the love. Like, that doesn't always go over well. And it's not always received well by the other party. Yeah, but my, my opinion on that is the people that are close to you and the people that are around you should value you more than anybody because they know how much time you put into it. They know your situation. They know your family. So, you know, granted, you, you wouldn't charge them what you would charge everyone else. But at some, time, at some point, you have to offer somebody something, you know, like even if you ask somebody to pick you up and take you somewhere across town, like. You've got to have at least $5 of gas money as a more kind gesture than saying I don't have anything. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. No, it's 100%, you know, thinking about just the the requests that 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 I've seen or that I've talked to to other artists about. It's like that's ridiculous, you know. Um, so I'm definitely with you on that. And then also I, I've had experience in the corporate world now too, which is crazy. And just seeing what they pay other people, how they pay their own employees. It's like nothing is free anywhere else, but here it's like, you know, for the culture <laughs> and you know, it's, it's like that disguise of like, if you don't do this, you must not love hip hop and you yeah. know, just, just how toxic that is. Yeah, it is. It's a very toxic culture. It's almost, 
destructive in a way because hip hop is one of the only, well, not just hip hop, but music and entertainment in general is one of the few places where you don't speak to somebody for 10 years and all of a sudden they show up and ask you for something for, for free because they helped you 15 years ago. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. And I had to get out of that because you can get in that circle and it's just you doing a bunch of favors for people that aren't buying into your movement or people that aren't, you know, looking out for you in general. Like I said, it's just a lot of people that are just taking and taking and, you know, there's a lot of fallouts that come from it, you know, but at some point you have to kind of set the tone for what your working relationship is going to be for people. Um, I've had a, a guy that I've helped for so many years. I've done so many things for him. The first time I asked for for money for a service, he never asked me for anything else again, period. So it's just one of them things like you have to set that tone. If you continue to allow it, you know, you'll continue to work for free. 100%. And, and uh, the other thing I've seen, man, and this is me venting a little bit, is first off, I'll say I really appreciate the way that you helped promote the the ph book you know you were part of that book your stories really made the 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 ph book much richer and i didn't even ask you to do anything for it and and next thing i know i'm checking instagram and and you tagged me and you actually bought the book yourself um you read it you were you know begging it up (laughs) oh man i appreciate that and i know i know his family does too because all all proceeds do go to his family so that's 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 really cool and yeah um Go ahead. Sorry about that. It it was like just it was so cool of you to do that, and I really appreciate it. And it's it's always going to stick with me that you just you know did that off off of the strength of you know your relationship with PH. You know, I like to think that you and I have a really strong relationship over the years. And to 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 go off that toxicity piece, talking to other MCs about you know, hey, can you post something? Can you do this? You know, this is for PH and his family. It's not for me. Like it's there's no clout chasing here. It's really just about getting as much money as we can for his family and like not even either getting acknowledged or like, okay, cool, but check out my new video. And like just thinking, man, this is not the same thing. Like, you know, like a, a freestyle video to to watch is just not the same thing as like a ph book that celebrates his legacy with like 100 interviews and like just that toxicity of just not like promoting or thinking like that i'll do this for you but you gotta promote my video for me and just like that whole tit for tat kind of thing um it just mm-hmm. never really sat well with me and it's like i i i forgot about it i think because i stepped away after hip-hop game for a little bit and then yeah. getting back into it with the ph book i was like oh man like this is why i left in the first place mm-hmm. and you know and not not even to self-promote but like the first song on cold blood i mean on uh every last word is called cold blood and i was talking about um just the reality of you've helped this many people but if you're gone tomorrow, you know, the most you'll get is a social media post out of somebody. Like, they won't be there to carry your casket. They won't be there to make sure your family's okay. And you're right. Like, this, it's something in the music industry. And, I mean, it, it extends outside the music industry. It goes back to just people, just people and their nature. But as far as PH goes, I was so happy, for one, that someone was telling his story. Um, cause I'm an advocate of, if you, if you don't tell your story or have someone else tell it, then people will write you out of history. They'll rewrite you out of history. So seeing that done for PH really meant a lot to me because it's someone that I've known for so long, um, to be able to, to read the book and find out things about someone that you, you respected highly. Like to me, that hit home and it was, it wasn't even a question of if I was going to support. It was just when. When is this book dropping? I, You know, I bought two copies. I showed my wife, and she met PH. And he was the type where, you know, such a good guy. My wife remembers him. You know, I remember when I told her he passed away, and she was kind of, you know, she was affected by it because she knows how much I respect certain people. And she knows he's a family man. We, You know, we all hung out together. We, you know, we ate dinner together and things like that. Um, it, it, to me, it was, it wasn't even a question 
of if I was going to support. And I'm glad that somebody told his story. You know, um, a lot of times you can't leave it. And it's no disrespect to, you know, close, you know, it's homies, but a lot of times you can't depend on your homies to tell their story because they have their own things that they're working on. They have their own family. But I'm happy that, you know, the world gets to know about, you know, PH. And not in, you know, not even to just get caught up in the moment, but I'm talking 10 years from now, 15 years, 20 years from now, somebody reads this book and, you know, they see it somewhere and like, you know, who is this guy? And then they start digging up, you know, information and, and things like that. And, you know, you have to document your contributions. That's why I do a lot of video content and things like that. Because like I said, if you don't tell your story, then a lot of times they'll rewrite you out of history. Somebody goes back and asks you, who were the guys that were killing it in, in Brooklyn or New York in the 90s? You know, they may mention certain people, but they won't mention PH. But I remember PH being the number one guy on college radio. I remember him always, you know, killing ciphers and things like that, man. Like, you know, he, he matters to me as far as New York hip-hop hip goes. I appreciate you saying that, and I, I agree with you. And I, and really, even even recently, there was a post on the best battle rappers, and it, it included both those who li- who were living and those who dece- who were deceased. And PH wasn't even mentioned on any of those lists. And it, it was really surprising to me to see just how quickly people forget. And, you know, even thinking about the um, all the people who PH helped in the battle rap industry and helped even just open the door so they could get in and just seeing how things just move on is, I think, really sad. So going back to what you said about that, um, the social media post line on Cold Blood, like it's just, it's really sad that it's like that. But I mean, you think about hip hop, how quickly so many folks have already moved on from the the passing of Dave, you know, and, and Dela, and how, right. you know, it was a couple days of posts and, and video links and, and all that. And then it's like, you know, what's next? Right. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly what it is because, you know, and, and I've seen it for myself. You, you, like when I, one of my close friends uh, passed away last year and I found out through social media and, you know, I've seen some other people pass away and you literally look at it and you're, you're distraught. And then, an hour later, you're back on social media laughing at a funny video or you're looking at sports and things like that. It's just like you don't have time to digest and process this. And to me, it's very unhealthy. And I don't think people realize how much loss and how much death and grief that they're dealing with because they're so distracted. And I think that's why the pandemic, I think, was very hard for people because now you're, you're kind of stuck in your own world. Like, you know, we were stuck on our phones for the most part, but we have so many people passing away around us. I know for me, and it was like, at some point there will be PTSD when you realize like 10 people that I know have died over the past three years versus prior to this, I maybe have known one or two people every 10 years or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy, man. I'm sorry for your losses. And it's like, even, you know, probably by Friday this week, we won't even be talking about the Nashville school shooting like that. It'll, you know, the news cycle moves yep. on and it's it's all about those ratings. Yeah, it's everything moves fast, man. That's why I try to keep the human aspect of it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll put the phone down. Um, I try not to consume too many different things, like a lot of negative things like that. If, you know, somebody, a video comes out and, you know, somebody's getting shot and killed, like, I'm not watching it. Like, just, you know, I, I refuse to be desensitized to something like that. And also, it's, it's it's telling me, like, I don't need to watch it. Like, what, if it's not somebody that I know personally, like, what am I going to do about it? I'm not a police investigator. You know, people are watching videos of, you know, takeoff getting shot and trying to analyze it. And I'm just like, I don't want to see a dead body. You know, if if I can avoid it, I don't want to see a dead body in person or on video and things like that. So, you know, I try to keep the human aspect and try not to get caught up in social media as much, man. No, I, I hear that, man. You know, um, switching gears a little bit too to Scatterbrain, you know, that's 
you know, one of the tracks that has been really, really well received as, as has the whole project really. But I'm curious, like, what was your process like in putting a song like Scatterbrain together? So for Scatterbrain was one of those days where um, I didn't really have an angle. I just, I was listening to, you know, groups like Organized, um, Organized Confusion and Black Thought. And I just really love how, um, especially like, you know, quote unquote, rappers, rappers, they have so many styles into a song. And I, Scatterbrain was one of those ones where like, I'm just going to, put random thoughts together, but make this shit sound dope. And I would flip up my cadences in the middle of the song and things like that. I just wanted to do some real MC shit. And to me, it was like, that's when I really was able to rhyme. Like when you see me, I I put out a video of me basically rapping the song prior to every last word came out. And that was me being able to get through an entire verse without without collapsing, without having to go lay down and things like that. So it was me, basically a, a, a rhyming exercise for me. And it felt good, man. It felt really good. And it's crazy because that's one of the songs that I wasn't going to put on the project because I didn't feel, feel like it, it fit what I was doing. But then I went back and listened to it. And I'm like, yeah, this actually fits because I'm on the song talking about, you know, don't lower my coffee yet. Like, I still got, you know, more to do. Like, you know, there was a time where I felt like in hip-hop, a lot of people were fucking with me. And then there was a time where people weren't fucking with me or whatever. So it's like I'm throwing different thoughts in, but there's still a message behind it, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, what is that writing process like for you, too, when when you're really putting a verse together? Um, so for me, um, it depends on what this song is. Like if it's just, uh, uh, just a track of me spitting, like I said, I'll, I'll collect different lines and then kind of piece them all together. That way I have, you know, just nonstop lines and I'll, you know, try to weave thoughts inside of, of, of different thoughts and things like that. Like, you know, it's almost what you mentioned about, you have to listen to it more than once to kind of catch it. But if it's a, a song that has a concept or a story Sometimes I'll even write it out like a story in story mode and it won't even rhyme. I'll just have all the ideas and what I'm going to say, and then I'll just kind of make it all connect. So I think my, you know, my writing approach is a little unorthodox. If I showed you like a sheet of paper that I write rhymes on, I actually put symbols and I think tone deaf and some other people do this as well, but I put symbols basically where the kick and where the snare should be. So if you look at like a, a song sheet of mine, which I should probably post one day, you'll see what words I mean, should be land really cool. on the kick and what and what words should land on the snare. And I know I can do anything I want as long as those words land where they need to land. You know what I mean? It's almost like, you know, almost like a, a gymnast. You know, as long as you can stick that landing in between the kick and the snare, then you can kind of be creative and do what you like. So. For me, that's that's how I, I write rhymes. And I've always done this. I think I started it because I used to pick up a rhyme that I wrote six months ago and look at it, and because my flow was so wordy, I wouldn't know where to start. And if you if you move a word around within a bar, it can completely change your flow. So I was like, all right, well, I got to figure this out. So I would I started out just putting like you know just a symbol or like a dot where the you know, where the first kick should be in the drums or whatever, or in the bar. And, you know, that's how I write, man. It's kind of unorthodox, but I found out that it, it works for me. No, that's, that's really cool. And, you know, thinking about just how far we go back, you know, um, seven years of bad luck. I, I think I told you this before, but that was the very first album I've ever gotten sent to me by a publicist. It was Matt Conaway working that record. And I remember going to my 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 university mailbox, man, and just having this this promo of your of your album that you know hadn't you know wasn't coming out anytime soon. You know, I think it was like a month in advance or something. And it's like that was just such yeah. a crazy oh, yeah. moment for me, you know, to have this like incredible album that like nobody else had, and you know, besides all the other writers out there, of course, but like no one in my right. circle had it, right? Like I got this exclusive album and it's it was just such a cool moment for me and and 
I know like I, I we did an email interview. I, I emailed you questions or, you know, to Matt Conaway to send to you. And then he sent it back to me. And yeah. that was just such a cool process. And it's been really cool just, you know, as a fan and as a journalist to really see your career. Cause I mean, we've, we've talked through just about every one of your, your big releases over the years. And um, yeah, man, you, you, you're consistent. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, at this point, you're like extended family because, uh, you know, I always remember, especially when I'm doing interviews and things like that. Like I always remember people that I, I talk to and I always remember, you know, reaching out for interviews or even like, yo, I need a verse for freestyle or something. You know, I would always send that over, man. But, you know, you've always been supportive and, and shout out to Matt Conway as well, too, man. I remember he was working my earlier records and things, man. But yeah, I'm just, man, I'm just humbled. I'm blessed to, you know, to even have, even if you were my only fan or only support, I hate calling people fans, but if you were my only listener, like it would mean a lot that you are still here to this day, because if you know me and you know my music, you know what I've gone through, you've seen the progression, you've seen the ups and downs, and to have somebody still stick with you throughout throughout all of this is, it's amazing, man. No, I appreciate it. And I can only count on, you know, you know, probably one hand, the, the MCs that I, that I, the same thing that, that know about my kids, know my family, like, um, cause I don't know if you remember, man, when we did the pH interview, we were on a family walk cause it was COVID time where, you know, everyone's trying to get out of the house. And we, we talked man for like maybe two hours about pH and yeah, life oh yeah. and everything. <laughs> and like, that was just yeah. such, a, such a cool conversation. And, and it really was one of those, like we hadn't talked in years, but it was like no yeah. time had passed. Right, man. Yeah. Like I said, at this point, man, it's like, you know, even though, you know, we haven't really connected in person, but I was like, you know, I feel like I know you cause we've had some real conversations, you know? Like even yes, you know same. off the record. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I, I appreciate always remember it. you checking in too. That's important, you know. Like it's you know it's it's a few people that do that, you know. Like I always appreciate guys like like words Wordsworth too, you know. Always like you know how's things going? Like you know I don't need anything. Yeah. I'm not asking for anything. Nothing to promote. Just checking how you're doing because I can remember all the artists that, you know, when hip hop games started to kind of lose traffic to the blogs and the not rights and those sites, how all of a sudden emails stop getting returned and, you know, interviews yeah. stop happening. And it's like, man, like you just start to feel really used, I guess. And like, you know, all the, yeah. the guys were like, I'm not like that, you know, like this isn't, you know, I'm not the industry. And it's like, and if anyone tells you I'm not the industry or I'm not like that, it's like, they're a hundred percent like that. It's like my radar is right. completely <laughs> up. Cause there's like 2011 or so I noticed like a decline in hip hop game and a decline in all of a sudden, Oh yeah, let's do this interview. Oh yeah. Here's a song for the, for the audio page. And it was really telling, but it was also one of those where it's like, you know, you really appreciate the, the people who are genuine and authentic because there's, it's just, it's, it's a small circle out there. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, and it, you dealing and you deal with it from a journalist standpoint as well. And I know even as an artist, the same things happen. Like there are people that, you know, you would reach out to, or they would reach out to you back in the day. Like I'm not even going to say who it was, but there was this one producer. Um, this was right before I left the music industry in like 2009, 2010. And this music producer reached out to me and, you know, we did a couple songs. He was like, yo, I really want to do an album. And I was like, look, babe, I'm, I'm trying to step out of this music industry, you know? Um, and then when I came back, a couple years later, this producer had blown up pretty much. And so, you know, I reached out to him was like, yo, you know, I appreciate, you know, all the love, man. Um, you know, just checking in with you. Just never, ever heard back from him at that point. But I had to realize, you know, this was just somebody trying to, to move up. They were trying to get where they were going, and I was just somebody on that journey. So for me, I stopped taking it personal and just realize there are genuine people out there and, you know, there's people that are, are not so genuine, but I've seen it as well from an artist standpoint. There's some people that won't take your phone calls or whatever, but it's crazy now that I drop like this every last word and it starts spreading like wildfire. I get some of the same people like, yo, what's going on, man? Just just wanted to catch up. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's awesome. I'm going to have to take your advice on that too, man. Um, you know, also looking at, you know, 
last time we talked, you know, you mentioned how you and Wordsworth had done so many songs together where like, you know, cause we, we started talking about uh, Trifactor off of PH's Orange Moon Over Brooklyn, which was mm-hmm. you, um, PH and Words and how you and Words were doing a project together. Um, but I know how busy you both are, um, both with, you know, work, personal life and family, but also music. So is that still in the works? Is that still something that might be happening? Yeah, I think so. We spoke, um, it's been a couple months now, but we both spoke about that too, because we both have been busy and the conversation was, you know, um, yeah, we need to get back to this at some point because <laughs> we've got some really, really dope songs together. Uh, the dope thing that I like about the songs that we recorded, they're kind of timeless. Like there's no really current events and things like that. So, you know, at the right time, um, I would love to, you know, finish that project with them. And we got the song with Master Ace that I would love to to put out as well, too, because that's, that's bucket list. <laughs> Man, that would be that would be amazing. And, you know, what about the second part of, of every last word? You know, because this is a two part project. Is the second mm-hmm. is this does it have a different title? And I, I think is that something that we might see in 23? Um, yeah, actually. So um, it's a two part project and it will have a different title, um, but the title will be based on part one. The concept will be similar. Artwork will be somewhat similar. Um, so. Every last word is basically me dealing with the emotions and things that I'm going through right in that moment. That's why a lot of times you see, like when I'm speaking on it, it's me going through like hurt, anger, different things like that. Um, Part two will be me looking at some of those same situations in hindsight and saying, well, all right, you know, maybe I might have overreacted on this. Maybe I was too emotional on this, but and it's also kind of a, a, a coming home for like my career and kind of accepting, look, this is where we are now. Like, do we, how do we move on from here? If we choose to move on, how are we going to go about this? So I think, you know, it will add just a lot of closure to what I've done at Superstition. Cause if you look from the first project of me saying, you know, I can't get in the game, I can't get a deal my life's falling apart till you look at to where I am now on every last word it's like look my life is great you know I've had some some issues that I've dealt with on a personal level but financially I'm doing okay um musically I'm completely cool with where I am I don't have to blow up you know I'm cool making music for a core group of people so it's kind of a, a full circle thing you know that's really cool. And, and I know you've been busy on other projects too. Like, what do you hope, you know, the rest of 23 looks like? Uh, so for the rest of uh, 23, I have two more projects for sure that I know are dropping. So uh, and that's going to be, you know, part two of the series that I'm doing. And also Speaker Bullies will be out this year. We literally just turning it in at the end of the month. To uh, Soul Spasm, and that's a project with me and a producer named Praise. Uh, I, it's a really exciting project because I kind of get to to step away from some of the personal, emotional music that I've been making, and get to wild out. Like it's almost like in the same vein as like a Sean P, a MF Doom, a Run the Jewels. Like I almost get to get to become someone else. Speaker Bully sounds like superstition had I became famous or <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's like you know a lot of times with with the music that I'm making now it's kind of you know reflective of what I'm going through but this is I call it like fun field ignorance and arrogance you know it's just really hard aggressive boom bap music you know and I'm really excited about it and you know I'm not a monolith like I I can do multiple things and I love that someone like a killer Mike could do uh run the jewels and then also do his thing solo and also politically and with businesses and things like that too so i wanted to be one of those type of people it's like look you know i can i can make one type of music for the rest of my career but would i enjoy it no there's other things that i want to do so this side project is going to be really really dope so and both of those are dropping this year man that's awesome i can't wait to hear that I don't think I've dropped three projects in one year ever. I think I've done two. <laughs> so that's probably the most that I've done. 
man if we can if we can take a any any kind of bright spots away from covid man it's like the fact that um you had more time to really hone in as an artist man is 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 one one good thing we can take away from uh how terrible the pandemic has been to us <laughs> right yeah it's you know it's a learning experience that we we went through but it taught me a lot i learned a lot about myself i learned a lot about people i learned a lot about just the process and the the industry and you know if i'm going to continue doing music how how can i do it and be successful in my own terms so yeah it, it has taught us a lot 